Welcome to Pocket Politics. This is a series of podcasts brought to you by the University of Sheffield Politics Society. These podcasts features members of staff from the Politics Department talking about topics from global politics to the mental health of MPs. So sit back and enjoy. Hello, and welcome back to the Pocket Politics podcast from Polsock at the Uni of Sheffield. And welcome to the first of our two-part special on Sarah Everard, sexual harassment and the Reclaim These Streets protests. It's been a week today since Sarah Everard's body was found. And in light of these awful events, we at Pocket Politics have decided to put on a two-part special, with the first episode today being a women's-only panel of various, I think, notable feminists from the Uni of Sheffield, And on the second episode, we're going to be opening the discussion out, having some questions that have arisen from today's episode from some of the boys at Pocket Politics, and then a discussion on what men can do to change the narrative. I really hope that you find this episode as informative and insightful as I did. So welcome, everyone, to this uh, very special episode of the Pocket Politics podcast from the Sheffield Uni Pulsock. We have three guests today and we're going to be speaking about sexual harassment, women's issues, everything that's been coming up in the news. Uh, They're going to introduce themselves first. So, uh, Lily, I shall hand over to you first. Um, Hi, I'm Lily and I'm the Women's Officer for the Students' Union. Evie, what's your name? Where are you from? (laughs) (laughs) I'm Evie. I'm a second year politics and international relations student and... Um, I'm the coordinator of Our Bodies, Our Streets um, campaign at Sheffield Uni. Amazing. And Catherine? Hi, I'm Catherine. Um, I'm a fourth year student at Sheffield, currently studying my master's in science communication, and I'm the campaigns officer for the Feminist Society. Amazing. Thank you, ladies. Now, There's been, over the last week, week and a half, there has been some truly horrific headlines and some truly horrific stories coming out. And I'd like to, if I may, sort of start on getting just your initial thoughts on the, the, of course, the awful Sarah Everard case and that statistic that's been thrown around so much in the news and headlines on social media of 97% of 18 to 24 year old women have experienced sexual harassment on some level. Um, I'm just wondering if you guys are surprised by that. Did you think it'd be higher? Do you think it'd be lower? Uh, Catherine, do you want to start us off? Yeah, so to be honest, my first reaction to that was, who is this 3%? Like, especially of everyone, all my female friends anyway, I don't know anyone who hasn't experienced it and doesn't experience it fairly regularly um and so I'm really like me and my housemates I live all girls and we were all just wondering like do they just not maybe not know what sexual harassment is maybe they just they don't know that cat calling falls into that and stuff so yeah yeah, that was my initial reaction totally I felt very similarly actually um Evie and Lily I don't know if if you guys were sort of surprised by that or if you guys sort of had any thoughts on whether people do know what sexual harassment is sort of what counts and what doesn't um I think the fact that 
not many women were surprised or they thought it was higher and so many men were like reacting like oh I'm so shocked about that this is so shocking and worrying um even if it's good that they were they did find it concerning um tells you a lot about how sexual assault and harassment is being misunderstood and how a lot of behavior is being seen as acceptable Mm, definitely and I think also just going back to the the Sarah Everard case I think it's you know as Evie said it's it's great that people are outraged by it but you know it's taken the death of another young woman for people to actually be talking about it and it is it's horrendous that yeah it's taken that um and I think going back to the point of um a lot of people not understanding what sexual harassment is I'm hoping that people sharing their experiences on social media over the past few days has actually allow people to realize that you know that behavior is unacceptable and actually oh I have experienced that in the past and that's why you know I reacted in that way definitely and we've seen an awful lot of people being more open than they've ever been before about their own experiences especially on social media and I was wondering what you guys sort of think about about the sharing of stuff on social media do you think it's useful do you think it sort of raises the profile do you think because there's been a lot of sort of criticism of it saying that all it's doing is sort of demonstrating being like oh i'm in support of women and then not actually sort of actioning it um i'm interested to hear what you guys feel um because i feel quite differently about it um but Evie, do you want to start with you? Um, sort of how how you view people sharing stuff on social media? Do you think it's helpful? Do you think it's great? What what's up? Um, I think it's really good for people to share their experiences, and it makes everyone feel heard, and it like it shows how much of an issue it is. Um, I do think there's a little bit of an issue with certain men. I just know a lot of people who I've seen sharing um, about how they how they're horrified and like men need to do this better who I know are really inappropriate towards women mm-hmm. it's really worrying because it's it's so easy to just repost something and I think it's good to do that um if you are taking action but it's a really easy way to like um abscond yourself from responsibility by just sharing something like oh I support women even though like you know that person is like misogynistic yeah I think it goes back to the sort of performative allyship aspect of it and actually yeah I, I think I think it's quite interesting to see how how, how I'm gonna see how my um friend my male friends actually react to this and have a, if they are going to have the conversations if they're going to be open to it if they're actually going to check themselves when they make misogynistic jokes and it it's the stuff that takes place off social media, I think it's going to be the really interesting part. But I do think people sharing their experiences has been, I think, quite beneficial to a lot of mm-hmm. people and creating that sense of solidarity and community. And I think I was just trying to sort of, I was reflecting on it all. And I think this is the first case that has really, really affected me quite differently for a long time. And I think it is because of the people sharing their experiences and, and yeah, standing with each other. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I'm definitely in agreement with you, ladies. I think that everyone sharing this kind of thing and the massive profile of it, for me, obviously, it has a huge impact when women share their own personal stories. But actually, when 
even when men just share it, I find it's really reassuring personally, the fact that I know that I say if this happens to me, when this happens to me again, because I know that it will, the fact that a random guy in the street might just come up and question someone's behaviour and pull them up on it and say, what are you doing? I do find that really reassuring. And I think that people have sort of, people don't necessarily realise that even just sharing it and saying, just saying, you know, this is going to bother me, even if it they don't actually action that. I do find it sort of really reassuring to sort of make me get out of the house more. I don't know how you feel about that, Catherine. Yeah, well, I was just thinking, like, for me, it's almost been the opposite. Like, because really? I just, with people, like how Lily and Eva were saying about performative stuff, and mm. again, the boys I've seen sharing stuff, it really is a split between those people of, like, people who I know for a fact are passionate about feminism and mm. rights for everyone, and then again boys who I also know for a fact have um had very I don't want to say like difficult relationships with uh or or they've uh, like created difficult relationships with women I know that they've not treated girls especially girls that they were maybe seeing or going out with or whatever I know that they've not treated them with the same level of respect that they would treat a girl who was their friend and stuff like that. And I think because there's so many layers to the whole thing, it is really difficult to tell, like, when someone truly is, like, a good guy. Yeah. It's just, I don't know, and, like, the whole thing about how, like, not the day after Sarah Everard's body was found, like, hashtag not all men was trending higher than hashtag Sarah Everard. And it's just, like... Basically, is all men. All men benefit from this system, and all men perpetuate it, whether they mean to or not. And it's only if you're actively trying not to perpetuate it that you're not part of the all men group. Yeah, yeah. I just think, and especially last week. I mean, I feel like now, after having spoken more to friends about it and having like more femsuck meetings and stuff like that. Um, finding it easier but last week my relationship towards men was not very good at all like <laughs> I'd go yeah. be on walks with my friends and if we saw a man who wasn't there with what we would think was his family or like a group of female friends or something like that we were just kind of like god he could just attack us he could just flash us anything yeah. like that and we would have nothing to do really mm-hmm. yeah I yeah I've I felt a very similar way walking down the street with you know three four of my housemates and no matter how many people you're with especially this week we all kept sort of turning around checking every time we heard a noise it was it's been very odd um just going back to social media for a second um obviously loads of people have been sharing everything um but there's also been quite a lot of negative reactions to people sharing things we've heard about Obviously, hashtag not all men trending, which I find horrific, but people popping up to people's Instagram stories and that sort of thing. Um, A friend of mine has had the quote said to her um, as uh, all of this coming from someone who's not worth sexually harassing. And I I can see all of everyone's jaws just dropped on our Zoom call. Um, It's 
the reaction to so much of it has absolutely not been what I've expected. I don't know if you guys have sort of had any really extreme negativity towards it. I think it's less extreme negativity that I've experienced and less of sort of the shift, I think, from the victim blaming, but more so the defensiveness of men, which is which is something that I've really, really, really struggled with. Mm. Um, I went, I was on the radio last Friday and we had male, um, had some callers, um, some local old, lovely old man from uh, mm-hmm. Dromfield, I think he was. Anyway, he, um, he was just sort of saying um, that he has found that he can't be a good ally because... Um, he hasn't been able to sort of connect with women and join these like women's organizations and he wants to be an ally but he doesn't like and it, the way that he was sort of framing it it was like this absolute sort of cop-out thing of saying like oh I'm being a good person like da, 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 da. So therefore, yeah this doesn't apply to me you shouldn't be brushing men with the same um tarnishing men with all the same brush and things like that and it's just I think I think it, it just shows the fragility of men like in general and like the ability to take any form of criticism to actually accept no we we have a responsibility so I think for me it's been the disappointment um in a lot of men's reaction and I think the not all men trending on Twitter has really really shown that we are so far to go with this it might be the victim blaming and the sort of obviously the reaction to your to your friend was horrendous and I I think it has moved slightly past that but it still it still shows like how far we have to go with getting men on board and taking responsibility. It comes down to the responsibility of it. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, now we were we were talking about um, people sort of walking down the street and not necessarily feeling safe. And I'm just wondering. Obviously, I've said that my behaviour has definitely changed sort of since I heard about the case, and it's not that. I sort of didn't have that fear in me before, but it's absolutely brought it to the forefront of my mind. I'm just wondering if you guys feel like your behaviour has changed in the last sort of week. Uh, Evie, do you want to start us off? Um, I don't think so, really, because I've gone through a big phase of changing my behaviour from being in fear of this whole thing. But the like solidarity of other people sharing their experiences has actually made me feel a little bit less scared um amazing because obviously I know that like it's really scary like what could happen um but I just have reached a point where like I don't I don't want to be scared and like I've just stopped I've just stopped blaming myself at this point because I just I know that so many other women are going through the same thing Oh, that's amazing. I'm so glad to hear that. Uh, does anyone else want to come in on that one? Okay. Um, I think my behaviour has changed. I think I've definitely become a lot more... I think we... I've. Um, it's a personal experience, but I think I live. we do live in a, in a safe city in Sheffield, I don't think, compared to other cities. I've, I've felt yeah. unsafe at times, but nothing compared to um, when I've been in other cities. So I think I'm definitely... I feel a lot more cautious um when leaving the house and I've become a lot more aware of forms of sexual harassment especially when I'm exercising because that's usually the only time I leave the house oh yes yeah running. um so I've become aware more aware of that but I think mainly it is just anger like I am just mm-hmm. so can I swear on this no 
I'm just so angry. I'm no. <laughs> I hadn't thought I'm about that. So, I'm so <laughs> angry, and it's like I have absolutely. I mean, I, to be fair, I didn't before, but I think it's just every opportunity I have to talk about it and to call people out on it, I take now because yeah. I'm just. It's always obviously, obviously, I've always been so aware of these issues, but I think it's the anger and the frustration of the lack of change and the lack of acceptance and lack of responsibility being taken by men is is where I'm at right now. I'm sure I'll burn out in a week or two and just feel completely exhausted by the whole thing. But right yeah. now, I'm just angry. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, um, I completely agree with that. No, sorry, oh, Catherine, you sorry, go ahead. My Wi-Fi is really dodgy, so I think <laughs> I keep coming in at the wrong time. Um, it's all good, but, don't worry. Yeah, I think... The, like with the behavior I suppose I don't think anything I've done has actually changed per se it's just last week especially it was just more at the forefront of my mind um and I suppose because we're in lockdown anyway not uh, yeah like Lily only really been going outside to exercise and then if I was going on a walk generally I would be with other people and then on runs just I mean, I always try to run when it's not dark anyway, um, just because it's a bit more pleasant with daylight. Um, <laughs> but I don't know whether that's just because it's nice being out during the day or whether that is actually just because I feel like I'll be more safe. I think yeah. that that's another thing, like, I'm finding it quite difficult to unpack what behaviour is me and what behaviour is, like, survival. Yeah, because um, it's so ingrained these days, isn't it? these mm -hmm. these tactics almost that we've been given to keep ourselves safe yeah it becomes part of your human nature and you don't even think about it something I was um I was saying to the rest of the boys who do the podcast the other day is that I will finish my uni work a good hour two hours early and I'll google when the sunset is and I'll make sure that I'm back before the sunset and that's that's just a sort of standard thing that I do now and because it's so ingrained in us, you do sort of wonder whether you're doing victim blaming yourself and being like, oh, it's my problem to deal with. It's my behaviour to change. Yeah, definitely. Because I, um, I have a friend who runs. Well, he's, he's a boy and he's really tall. Mm. And he goes on runs and bike rides like really late at night. And every single time I'm like, how on earth do you do that? Are you not terrified that something's yeah. going to happen to you? Um, someone's going to like attack you or something like that? And he's like, no, I just don't really think about that. I think he his biggest worry is that he might injure himself and it'll be dark, so it'll be harder <laughs> for him to like flag down a car or something like that. But nothing about um, someone Other purposefully people. harming him, yeah. yeah. I've seen some tweets as well about people, like women like sharing all well, the fact that they have to finish work like you said like two hours earlier to, just to be outside when it's light and then compared to a husband who can go off and long runs as soon as it gets dark and be absolutely fine and not and not give us a second thought about it I think that's a it's, it's the second nature it's the as you say it's so ingrained within us yeah um I'd like to move on, if we can, to the plan vigils um, last week. 
because, of course, there was one planned for Sheffield on Devonshire Green, I believe. Um, there were ones in London, Manchester, Belfast. There were across the UK, there were vigils planned. And, of course, the lack of cooperation from the Met Police meant that the organisers called them all off. There was an online vigil. I don't know if you attended, ladies. I did. I had a substantial cry. It was very, very emotional. Um and I was just wondering what you guys thought about the lack of cooperation from the Met Police. Because, of course, we are in a lockdown. We are in the middle of a pandemic. But I have sort of really struggled in myself. I've been in a bit of a turmoil about how much I agree with their lack of cooperation, especially given that the person who's currently being held in custody for it is a police officer. Mm -hmm. I can see you all nodding. Uh, who wants to come in first? Because I think we've all got something to say on this one. Yeah, Catherine, think... you're, you're big on my screen at the moment. Do you want to start? Oh, sorry, oh. Lily. <laughs> Lily, you go and then I'll follow. <laughs> um, I was just going to say, um, yeah, I think given the situation and the, the case itself, I think um, I was trying to think about like the reasons why the police were not wanting to sort of engage with it and I think it's just because they don't want to draw any more drawing attention to themselves about the um the handling of the case and I think to the broader picture of women's relationship with the criminal justice system um I, I was just so so angry and um yeah just disappointed that I think that right now women need to come together and feel physically together and stand in solidarity with one another. And I do completely understand the precautions and the fact that we're in a pandemic and, and all of that. But I think to, for, for them to deny us, us that ability to do that is, is just really, really heartbreaking. Um, and I guess we'll come on to it later, but just speaking more to the police bill as well, you know, the infringement of human rights that this law is, is creating. Um, but obviously people have different differing opinions to it. Um, I had a phone call with my grandma the other day and she was like, oh, Lily, I'm just really not happy with these. I think it was on the Sunday, on Mothering Sunday. And um, mm. I'm just really not happy with these women. I'm really for them, but I'm just not happy with them protesting together. I was like, grandma, I'm not even going to enter into this conversation because it's not going <laughs> to end well. <laughs> yeah. I do completely get the different sides to it. It's just, I think it was an opportunity for the police actually to, to prove themselves that they're, they're not the evil, horrible bastards that they are but they didn't so. yeah mm. Catherine do you want to come in yeah I mean I agree with everything that you just said I just think it's so disgusting that they did that and not only that they kind of um made the vigils unlawful but then their behavior at the vigils um mm. because mm. that's I've what really read, upset me yeah I've read so many people's first like hand accounts and not only did is basically everyone in attendance there saying that it was the police who initiated um the clash but that they chose to do it after sundown when the whole read like yeah. one of the big reasons for the vigil was just like we are not safe in the dark I mean we're not safe on the streets as it is but in the dark especially mm. um and also, again, like, yeah, one of their officers has been charged with it. And also he'd been accused of indecent exposure a few days before. And yet we're still allowed to go into work. And it just really makes you question um, 
who they're allowing into the police, how like little introspection the police service have when it comes to their own. I suppose it's like that whole thing of like the police being a family and a guy, and you want to protect. They want to protect each other and stuff like that. When actually, they're protecting dangerous people who really shouldn't yeah. be in charge of the safety of loads of other people. And it also just makes you think about like all the other historical incidents, like the handling of Stephen La- Stephen Lawrence's murder, um, the mm. murder of Joy Gardner by the police, the handling mm. those blessing. Um, Ola Sagan, I want to say her last name was, and she was found dead on a beach in Bexhill. Um, and the police dropped the case because they felt there was little evidence to pursue anything. So her murder um, has just gone unsolved, I think, for a few years now. I think that might have been 2016, maybe. And then also the two sisters who were murdered in, was it Wembley Park? And the yeah. Again, the Metropolitan Police officers who took selfies with their dead bodies and had a group chat. And now I found out yesterday that there's like a group chat of Metropolitan Police officers who were talking about Sarah Everard saying that, oh, making jokes about her murder, jokes about raping her and stuff like that. And it's oh just, God. I just think it's really disgusting behaviour and for them to just for like Cresta Dick and other people high up in the Met Police to just outrightly defend their own is just I don't know it shows that it's almost like they can't learn and they have no interest in learning and taking on what people say they want I think yeah. with that as well it's the element of the abuse of power it, it is mm-hmm. like elite yeah abuse of power and the fact that Chris did it came out and sort of said oh thank god you know thankfully it's very rare for women to be abducted you know and it's just like you're missing the point completely. This is about yeah. a wider picture about women yeah. getting harassed, getting catcalled, getting, I don't know, assaulted in their own homes. It's just, it's so frustrating because it's, it's, oh, I just, I know. <laughs> it really does make you question who the police are there to protect. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say that about it's shown time and time again how the police are not protecting uh, society at large and just protecting mm-hmm. like basically just like white um straight men um and how Cressida Dick I think it's really disappointing because the police is obviously institutionally racist and sexist and when you just put a woman at the top of an organization like the Met Police it's not it's not actually going to change anything because she seems to defend the same status quo anyway um Mm. so I think there's so much change that needs to happen to the police and obviously with um the government's new bill they're going like the opposite direction of everything that needs to change about the police yep definitely I was just about to come on to that actually obviously we've seen sort of later in the week as this has progressed uh the police bill which is attempting to confine rights to protest even further than they already are which of course is one of our human rights and I know that Lily you kind of wanted to speak about this do you want to start us off on that yeah definitely um I think uh, to be fair I just just don't think it could have come at a worse time I think it is genuinely Mm -hmm. one of the scariest legal developments um in recent history because it is so so wide-reaching I think it I just I honestly can't get my head around 
not the logic behind it, but given the year that's happened with Black Lives Matter protests, with the Extinction Rebellion, yeah. everything, it's it the fact that those protests are continuing to take place about a variety of issues shows just how many issues and how many problems there are, and, and people are willing to fight for them, and it, and it is denying that fundamental freedom of protesting and freedom. I hate don't I'm not going to use the word freedom of speech because I've got. Not a problem with freedom of speech, but the, I've had conversation. Anyway, side point. It's, it's no, I'm I'm totally with you on that one. We have a hate speech act for a reason. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. Uh, does anyone else want to want to come in on the on the police bill? Because I know it has become quite a headline actually with the um the protests in Parliament Square, kill the bill, mm-hmm. all that sort of thing. Yeah, um, I was read like reading the they have like a fact sheet on the government website about the bill oh yeah um and they are basically saying which just goes to show as lady said like the worst possible time for something like this to come through um that a huge reason they want the bill through is to protect the policing budget of the metropolitan police because they said that the um, Extinction Rebellion protests in, I think, 2019 cost the Met Police £16 million. But then I just did a quick Google of the Met Police budget and it's over £3 billion. And so I just think this isn't about saving money at all. This is just about stopping people from being able to express an opinion that you don't agree with and trying to push because the only way you get social change is through protest it's been shown time yeah. and time again that yeah you can speak on things but people aren't going to listen they they listen to actions and when people are literally like I am willing to disrupt because of this because if I don't disrupt then people are going to die or like the climate's going to be ruined Mm. or like women are going to be attacked on the street and stuff like that. So I just think they just, I don't know, they just seem like they've they've got blinkers on or something and they can't look at the world as it really is. Yeah. Um, And also part of that, like with the clamp down on traveller communities, I think that is just really disgusting because although I'm sure because in the country like discrimination against traveler communities is really really horrendous and again it's just like something that doesn't fit into the way you view life should really be um they just want to get rid of it basically yeah yeah, yeah sorry I... lily you're gonna come in oh no oh, go sorry. on sorry, no, no no my lily. bad no go go it's fine go. um i was just gonna say a lot of it um all of this disrupts the way Britain sees itself um and the like changing role of the UK because where this country projects on its like military intervention saying that women in other countries are second class citizens but that's been shown to be the case in the UK women can't even walk freely and we essentially have a system where like women need a chaperone um like it it's not the free liberal country that we think and this just shows as well that so many people disagree with what's going on in the UK and feel the need to protest that the government has to use really authoritarian means to clamp down on people 
and I think it's just really worrying um, for Britain, like that sees itself like projects the idea of being a liberal country, but it clearly isn't. And the government totally serves just like a very small interest group. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Go ahead, Lily. Um, I was just trying to collect my thoughts. Yeah, I think just to say that, (laughs) um, yeah, going back to, to, to Evie's comment about women having to have a chaperone on the street, I think it, I think yeah, the the focus of the bill um, and creating this this you know attack on freedom, not freedom of speech, of uh, the right to protest and things. I think mm. just really, really shows how out of touch the government are with tackling mm-hmm. problems. I mean, you think about you know, the budgeting and going to the police and things, thinking about the the amount of money and resources and direction that they could have and implementing, um, I don't know, better education workshops for for teaching young men how to behave or, you know, support um, centres for women. It's just, they're so Mm -hmm. in touch with it because it's a system that serves them at the end of the day. Yeah, it's like they want, they don't want to govern, they want to rule and they don't want the people that, like the people that happen to live in this country and care about what's going on, they don't want them getting in the way of what they want and who they want to appease, which is more often than not, especially as we've seen with COVID and who they've given contracts to, it's more often than not their friends and their donors. Yeah, definitely. It was it was those statistics that you've just talked about, Catherine, about it, the police spending on the Extinction Rebellion protests because in my opinion, that's exactly what the police budget is there to do, is to protect people's rights and to protect the law. Mm-hmm. And the fact that the police are complaining about the amount they're spending on doing their job, yeah. to me, is absolutely extraordinary. And also, I don't really, like, where was that money even, probably just, is that the pay of police officers who were there, like, <laughs> yeah, um, at the event? Or obviously afterwards maybe a bit of cleanup but although with extinction rebellion i doubt they were litterers so (laughs) (laughs) well yeah exactly police are on shift for it aren't they where where's that money gone Mm -hmm. yeah now obviously this case has had a huge impact in terms of uh, legislation in terms of protest social media and I'm really interested to hear your thoughts on why why now? Why right now, as we're coming out of our third lockdown, right now, in terms of she she sort of she did everything right, right now in terms of just after the BLM protests. Why why is it this case? I don't know if anyone wants to start us off on that. Catherine, do you want to um, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, I think a huge part of it is that, um, and this is obviously to no way like diminish what happened to her because obviously it's awful. But she fits, of course. Sarah fits the bill of a perfect, of a so-called perfect victim, and it's um, mm. my housemate does law, and she says that when you are um, like prosecuting, if you have someone who fits kind of like the perfect victim persona. Um, more often than not, it's a lot easier because yeah. um, she was young, white, 
blonde and pretty, middle class. She was wearing bright clothes. She was just walking home from a friend's house. She wasn't drunk. She was on the phone to her boyfriend for a section of it. Um, and I just think it will have, because the majority of this country is white, it will have resonated with more people. And also because we tend to have a perception of especially like um, small blonde white women as being like delicate things that need to be protected it will have resonated with other people more as well, um, more than, you know, previous um, disappearances or murders because, um, well, like with Blessing Olisogun, because she was black, there was very little attention given to it. Yeah. Um, and obviously it is absolutely horrendous that it's taken another woman to be killed for this to be talked about but I just the only hope I have from it is that this is like the final straw that breaks the camel's back like yeah the thing that because this is a conversation that women have been having amongst themselves for forever and Mm -hmm. been trying to get into the mainstream conversation but I'm hoping that because this has been so publicized um it can remain there but I mean, obviously, we'll have to wait and see, and just try and keep pressure for that to happen. Yeah, and it I does think... definitely feel like a turning point mm. in terms of the scope of the conversation. Go ahead, Lily. I was just going to say, I think the fact that, um, as Catherine sort of outlined, the fact that um, Sarah did like all of the right things um, and was very was a lot of women can obviously relate to her experiences of walking home from a friend's house but just when it got dark I think that's why there is such an outpouring of shared experiences and then I also think another massive factor is because there's a policeman involved um yeah of course yeah it's a huge huge element of, of the piece um and I think also there's definitely um some part to play in, in being people being on social media a lot more at the moment because of lockdown, obviously we're coming out of it now, but because everyone has become so much more accustomed to their whole social lives being on a screen as well, yeah. taking that information in all the time, I think in some ways has worked its benefits. I mean, this is benefited from the situation in the sense that a lot more people are engaged with the stuff that's going on on social media. Yeah, that's... That's where I think the the definite change lies, because obviously this can't be the first case in which someone who looks like the majority of people in Britain has done everything right and still this awful thing has happened to them. But I really do think that it is this increased use of social media. We've seen it with all sorts of issues being shared, um, sort of human rights issues in other countries that you would have thought are an entirely domestic issue suddenly take on this massive persona. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I just think this is absolutely kind of epitomised how much social Im- social impact, social media does really now impact our lives, especially post lockdown. Evie, I don't know if you've got any thoughts on this one. On sort of what's, um, yeah, what's changed, basically. I was just going to say something about the fact that the whole idea of she did everything right. And whilst I think it's really powerful um, to talk about how 
even when women make all these changes to their behavior, uh, all these things still happen. I think that's really good, but I still think it's really worrying because some like people who do victim blame are going to get attached to that idea and like mm. read that in the wrong way as we need to protect women um, like Sarah who do everything right, mm-hmm. but yeah. not necessarily like sex workers or like a yeah. lot of different type of people or yeah. transgender people. So I think she did everything right idea it carries with it a lot more than how she did everything right it's also like she like we were saying she is the right person mm-hmm. who's like the perfect victim so I think that's yeah. quite concerning um and also with the social media thing I was going to say I think the other side of that is a lot of what we probably don't see um everyone who's on this sort of side of the argument your algorithms on social media show you lots of people supporting it and stuff yeah and mm-hmm. I think it's really worrying that you lose touch with maybe the other side because your social media won't give you that those other opinions and like I've read comments on uh, Facebook and YouTube videos about it and realized how many people have the most horrific views uh, about women and about sexual mm-hmm. violence that I'm becoming detached from and unaware of those views because of the people that I follow on social media Um, yeah the old echo chamber effect yeah yeah Yeah. I think also with the lockdown because I remember well I'm sure you guys have done it as well a few weeks ago the SU released all the tickets for nights out and stuff like that and me and my friends were online ages trying to get them like really really excited but then when this happened I think because we've been so apart from interacting with loads of people for such a long time all we could remember was the really positive aspects of it and then all of last week all we could think about was when I go to a club I could be harassed at my drink. Yeah, oh God, what's going to happen at the end of lockdown, yeah. And especially when, like, the men who are, like, who do that sort of behaviour have not been able to do that for such a long time. Like, are they just going to run rampant? And I think maybe that's why, well, part of the reason why it's impacted more people because it's felt like something we could have had obviously it's not something we ever get a break from as women Mm. but it's felt like something that we've almost been slightly sheltered from yeah obviously this isn't everyone but like as students in well I live in like a safe student house and stuff like that like I've had a pretty isolated existence for the past (laughs) however many months and we all um and so yeah just the thought of like when the pubs open yeah and people are getting drunk what's the behavior going to be like yeah and just stuff like that's really been playing on like i know that my mind and my friends minds yeah i definitely feel the same way um i'm gonna absolutely terrify my mother here if she's listening but um i i turned 18 in lockdown so i've kind of never had that properly properly going out experience Mm. and I'm absolutely terrified because all that you hear are these horror stories of 
you've got to wear these shoes, you've got to do this, you've got to make sure you're with this many people at this time, don't go there, it's awful there, don't walk down this road. I, I know I speak for a very, very specific demographic of people, mm. but I'm absolutely bricking it for when everything opens up because I've got no idea it's sort of what it's like in the big wide world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. And also with the announcement that they want to put plain clothes, plain clothes police officers into yeah. clubs, and that's just the complete opposite of what we want. It's a police officer who killed Sarah Everard. Yeah. And it's police officers who've done loads of bad stuff before. And also just like me and my friends have had so many bounces made us feel uncomfortable. Never mind having someone actually in the club with you and you not knowing that they're a police officer. Yeah. And then say they do something to you and you get you shout at them and get into an altercation with them. What can they just arrest you there? Can they it's just absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. Mm anyone in a position of authority basically mm -hmm. and in a position of power is especially dangerous that's the point isn't it yeah yeah i think there's a lot of like i don't police officers who are just of the mind that they can do whatever they want and like just take all matters into their own hands and i think the idea of having like a police officer this was i was sort of going to say about um men like saying they're going to challenge someone on the street I think there's a huge element of this of like we need men to strong men to like confrontationally protect women like a plainclothes police officer is really the opposite in in terms of gender because I think what would be a lot better is if they had if uh, the government funded like women's organizations to protect women in clubs it's we don't like I think the toxic masculinity of like having a confrontation with a plainclothes police officer and like, oh no, I'm going to protect this woman. This woman, I just think it feeds into like the whole toxic masculinity, especially yeah. with like nights out and violence. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's almost yes, yeah, state-sponsored men being the only people that can protect women. Yeah, mm. and like at the vigil as well, they should have just had female officers. Mm. I think that is yeah. such an obvious not that it would have solved anything because um there shouldn't have been a huge police presence there anyway mm. but um they should i just think that is such an obvious thing only yeah. have female officers there because it is a male metropolitan officer who's charged with the crime yeah it just, just a little always, bit of sensitivity how they can't come to these solutions yeah, themselves. And I think going, going back to the, um, the plainclothes police officer thing, I think it shows how out of touch they are with the experiences of women in the criminal justice system because mm. um, you think about, you know, say if something happens to you and the plainclothes police officer is on hand to help, it's the automatic questioning like, oh, you're really drunk. Oh, I don't think you actually did it. Do you know what I mean? It still goes back mm -hmm. to the kind of societal perceptions about drunk women and yeah. it comes down to that and putting men in that position and in that environment is only going to cause more harm and more danger to the women who are being affected yeah that's um, the thing it's putting someone in a position of power who's ultimately done this before 
and essentially handing over the right to do this. Go mm. ahead, Evie. Sorry, I interrupted you there. Um, I think a lot of this, um, a lot of the things that the government proposes as solutions, like I think the idea of having more street lighting to make women feel safer, that was a good idea of the government. But yeah, a lot of this is just patching over the issue and like mm. using it for a reason to just put more like authoritarian presence and more uh, state violence when it's not looking to tackle the whole problem at its root and like how women are essentially like second-class citizens in the UK, yeah. how the way women are seen and valued, um, sexualized, it just doesn't tackle the root cause of it and like mm -hmm. education, it doesn't really tackle that enough. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. In light of that, do you think that th this case is going to change anything? Because this isn't the first time, obviously, that we've had high-profile cases like this. And I, I certainly feel that it won't be the last time. Do you guys feel like it will change? What do you think will change? What specific bits of legislation, bits of stuff that's been shared on social media, what do you think is going to change if it does? Um, Catherine, do you want to start us off? Um, I mean, I really don't know. I think it's going to be difficult for any real change to happen because, as you guys were saying before, like, we are in echo chambers online and realistically, like, there, are, there will be men within our kind of online bubble who harass women, who assault women. Yeah. And then there's men who are in bubbles who will maybe just be more open about it but it doesn't mean that it doesn't make it any less bad if someone does it and they're just like no I'm one of the good guys um and I just think it's really hard for any change to come because they just men just don't have any skin in the game at all yeah like I think because um, there's been this discussion about like a 6pm curfew for men rather than um, telling women to like stay at home and then there was like a huge outcry against that because it's unrealistic and um, like it's not all men and that's not gonna really solve the issue but I just think until you can actually put across what it is like mm. and the danger you face and how you feel and they're just a lot of men won't change their behavior at all and especially like yeah coming out of lockdown people will be thinking about other things and if there aren't thankfully there were like a few like labor mps and like green party mps who really are pushing for change but for like actual law change and government change we really do need the majority and until like that is what the public want which I mean it might be what half the public want but it's again like women aren't treated the same way and stuff like that so I don't know it's all quite bleak really thinking about it <laughs> it really is isn't it I think so it's quite I think for me I think as I said earlier I'm still very much riding on that angry wave so I think for me it's it's keeping that momentum going and keeping that that anger going um mm. and I think in a way stuff opening back up I think because 
obviously I, I work at the SU and we're, we're planning to reopen the building and reopen the nightclubs and stuff. And we're working on a big project and review of the procedures and, you know, various bits of work. But it, it, it does, it's providing with us an, as an, with an opportunity to really hone in the messages of, of safety and treatment of women and everyday sexism and rape culture and stuff. So I think with the reopening um, of clubs and pubs and things, having that at the forefront of our mind while that while that is happening, and the grassroots movements can can provide that information and that momentum, I think that provides us with the basis. You know, it's sort of the fresh start, not fresh start. Yeah, it's a different context to anything we've ever campaigned in before. Yeah, we have an opportunity right now with the timing of this case to really, really make some progress. And that's a collective, we're not just women, it's men to take the responsibility yes. on as well. Yeah, definitely. Evie, what do you think? Do you think there's any light at the end of the tunnel? Um, I think there's hope if, yeah, if men change their behaviour and, like, actually start to engage. Um, I mean, I think they they are, like, actually beyond even just the, just, like, sharing things on Instagram. I've had mm. a lot of messages and, like, follows from... Um, men wanting to get involved in like our movement um but I think it would really help if the government took a really strong and honest stance about the state of gender relations in the UK and like everything that's going wrong because I think a lot of people do take their cue from the government and if and like I just think the government need to have a clear position uh that sends the right signal but I think that's like really unlikely considering women are so underrepresented in the government anyway. Yeah. I'm trying to find a positive point on which we can end here, ladies. Um, (laughs) Some glimmer of hope. Um, I suppose for me, it's the fact that this has had more political salience now than Mm -hmm. I think this issue has ever had in the past. I've had more conversations and phone calls from my male friends going oh my god I had no idea what can I do than I've ever had in Mm -hmm. the rest of my years on this earth um I don't know if there's any kind of I'd say positives to take away from the situation is an insensitive way of putting it but anything that we can be hopeful for Mm. Um, I think yeah go on Catherine I was just going to say, I think I've found more solace and unity within like the feminist community at Sheffield Mm -hmm. and also like with my friends from home and stuff, but especially like with the different groups that we have in Sheffield and stuff like that, I think. Yeah, and it's really made me feel a lot more empowered and a lot more kind of given me that extra push to do the work and try and make change um, and just also just like form these relationships with people that like obviously it's all been over Zoom and everything but just yeah it's really really kind of shown to me how important that community is to me and it's something that I want to continue with me like for forever basically. Yeah. Lily, yeah. have you got any positives to take away? I think just, yes. I just I think just to echo that, I think it goes back to, you know, the solidarity um with, you know, women who have been affected by this, but also 
taking this as a learning opportunity um, to sort of support people in a, in a different way and understanding the effects of this type of violence and assault that is so, so, so awful. Um, yeah, and I think just going back to my point of, you know, this is an opportunity and the momentum is here and we're not going to stop fighting for yeah. some actual real change. That's the plan. Um, Evie, have you got anything else that you'd like to add? Um, yeah, I think, well, mainly the same, but I think we have a really good feminist community at Sheffield Uni. I, like, I think it's really strong um, and so many people are involved. And I think this is a really good opportunity to include even more people and build a lot more links in the uni with other movements. Um, so I think that has quite a lot of potential. Mm -hmm amazing let's let's look forward to it and keep everything crossed because i know i speak for everyone on this call and so many more people in sheffield when i say that we're absolutely going to fight this until the battle is won mm -hmm. um thank you so much then to uh lily catherine and evie my incredible guests today on the second part of this two-part special we are going to be bringing some of the boys in uh, to talk about any questions that they've had from the episode and then we're going to be having a discussion on what can be done more specifically what can men do uh, to try and get that 97% down thank you so much for being a part of this ladies and we hope that you have enjoyed the episode yeah I've had a great time <laughs> thank you thanks, thanks. bye